myself reflecting on things that I have been overthinking. And one of those things that I think I have been overthinking is the response I give to high fives. Do you know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever gotten a high five? Go ahead, high five the person right next to you right now. It's fun. Now, see, I always am thinking about how do I respond to the high five? Should I be very energetic, you know, like, yeah, high five, and go really hard, slap their hand as hard as I can, try to leave a mark, do something like that? Do I give a meh high five? You ever have a guy come at you? One time I saw this thing. It was amazing. This guy caught a foul ball, or maybe it was a home run. I don't remember right in this moment. But he jumped up, and he held the ball, and he was like, yeah. And his buddies were right there, and they were jumping, looking for the high five. He looks to the right. He looks to the left. And he just sits down, and on film, all his friends are just standing there. It must have been the worst feeling in the world. (laughs) Reminded me of when I was growing up, and my father, he and I played the high-five game, and I could always hit his hand up high, to the side, anywhere, in space. I was there until one day, young lad that I was, he said, down low, and you know where this is going. He pulled it away. I was too slow. And that's when I realized the response to the high five maybe is not everything you think that it should be. Kind of like when you're going out to give someone a, hey, welcome, glad you're a new member, but he's going for a fist bump. And then you do the, I hate that. Because you don't know. Do you like just grab him and hug him? Do you laugh? What do you do? But as you are pondering how you will respond to the new members today, shaking their hands, fist bumping them, high-fiving them, whatever it is that you will do, let's go to the text, pull out your Bibles or it's in your bulletin in front of you, and, and let's look at some responses that occur in our text today. There's a few responses from a few different people, and I'd like to look at how these responses can guide us and shape us. And I want to start with the the initial responses, but I I need to go back just a little bit because you'll remember on the day when Jesus rose, the morning. See, we pick up in the evening, but in the morning, there was this first initial response. This is with Mary Magdalene and Jesus. I'm going to read this to you so you can listen in case you forget, but this is where something happens. Mary grabs hold of Jesus. So it says, let me me read it. They being the angels, they asked her, woman, why are you crying? She says, they've taken my Lord away, she said, and I don't know where they put him. At this, she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. So he asked her, woman, why are you crying? Who is it you're looking for? And thinking Jesus was the gardener, she said, sir, if you carried him away, tell me where you have put him and I will get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him, cried out in Aramaic, Rabbani, which means teacher. And Jesus said, don't hold on to me. For I've not yet ascended to the Father. Go instead to my brothers and tell them I'm ascending to my Father and your Father, to my God and to your God. Mary's response, her initial response in the situation is to hold on to Jesus. Why does she cling to him? Why does she grab him? Because she doesn't want him to go. She didn't want to lose Jesus again. It's like when you're at the airport and you're saying goodbye to someone you love, right? You hold on to that hug as long as you can because you don't want them to go. I think probably the closest thing that we could ever get to is a picture of this hug that Mary gives Jesus. It's like one of those surprise videos where the soldier comes home and his family doesn't realize it. And when they finally realize it's him, they just grab him. They don't let go. And that's the first initial response. The second is with the disciples. 
There's a group of the disciples minus Thomas, right? And there in verse 19, you can see, verse 19, you can see what their response is. They lock the doors and they're afraid, and rightly so. The response of locking the doors in fear because they saw what those leaders had done to Jesus. Jesus was a public figure who was well known, and they beat him and crucified him. What do you think they're going to do to the nobodies, to the riffraff, to the fishermen who follow him? Text says it was evening and they locked the doors. You remember, of course, that in the morning the soldiers wake up and the body's not there. We've seen enough CSI episodes to know where were they going to be looking first. Lock the doors, be afraid, and hide. Now, John doesn't say this in his gospel, but I couldn't help but read in that piece of locking the doors and hiding that there's not this second motive, this second story going on behind it, calling us back to Genesis in Eden. When a couple of people who had made mistakes, Adam and Eve, are now like the disciples who had betrayed, denied, and abandoned Jesus. I wonder if they were also locking those doors and afraid, not just because of the Jewish leaders, but because of the things they had done. But being afraid of death, being afraid of pain, feeling guilty, Ashamed of what you've done, it's no wonder they respond the way that they do with paralyzing fear, hiding, like curling up or making sure your feet are tucked in all the way under the covers so nothing reaches up and grabs you, or in a much more serious way, being so depressed that you can't move or do, you just stay in and lock the door. And then the third response in our text comes to us in the form of Thomas. See, Thomas wasn't in the room when everybody, or when Jesus came. He doesn't see it, so he doesn't believe it. He doubts it was real. And if you're wondering why is it stubbornness like those people who haven't seen Twilight or Harry Potter and refuse to acknowledge how amazing they are and they just never will see them, so they don't really have an opinion, I don't think it's like that. I think when hope, when hope has been taken from you, when hope is gone, it's hard to see anything. It's hard to believe anything when hope is gone. It's like getting your heart broken and thinking that you'll never find love again. It's like struggling with sin or addiction, asking for forgiveness, and then finding yourself back there again tomorrow still having hope, a hard task to not see and yet believe. Hold on and don't let go. Be afraid and hide and doubt. Those are the three initial responses. But those initial responses are followed by three personal responses from Jesus. Now I say personal, not as if they are not included for us too, but personal because Jesus always meets us where we are at and responds to us. 
Jesus always meets us right where we are at and responds. He does not demand that we reach a certain point in life before he will respond to. He responds no matter what. To Mary, who is grieving, who is holding on to him because she doesn't want to lose it, he responds by promising her that she can let go. That she can let go of worry and fear because he will never leave her. Because Jesus Christ will never leave us. Christ is in us. Which means we can let go and know that he is holding on to us. He has responded in victory, ascended to the Father in victory, and given us hope. Victory over separation from him because of sin and death that is no longer a worry. And he gives us hope to live confidently, knowing that he wants good for us. Knowing that he is preparing good for us. No matter the struggle or the season, he is there. To the disciples who were afraid, he responds by bringing peace. Peace for their mind, for their heart, for their soul. That is the peace that brings us here today. The peace that we want. Jesus gives it with a word, peace be with you, and it happens. Because he won it with a cross and an empty tomb. And I have seen that peace. And I pray that you have felt that peace. Because we all have access to that peace. It is ours in Christ Jesus. And if it seems to be eluding you, this peace that he has promised with you, drop me or Pastor Mike a line. We'll sit with you and pray with you. Or better yet, turn to the person sitting next to you and talk to them about the peace that they have, about the hope that they have. Pray with them. Because this peace thing that Jesus does is never just in isolation, but it is a group thing. It's why people join and come together as one body, one family, one church. Because we have been found by Jesus. We are not hidden from him. And to those disciples who were feeling guilty, he brings forgiveness. Doesn't kick down the door like some raging hulk, but instead he opens doors that had no business of ever being opened before. Because that's what peace and forgiveness do. And if you are tired of having doors closed, of the fear-mongering and hate speech and the individuality of society and the superficial, then the answer is only in the peace and forgiveness of Jesus. The life that he has won, the hope that he gives, the cure starts with one man, Jesus That's the truth. That's the life. That is the way. Seek his peace. Pursue it. Receive the forgiveness that he has given to you. Receive his forgiveness. And then give it. Jesus has one more response to Thomas. And he brings belief. 
That may not sound like much, but Jesus brings Thomas belief. That's everything. And it came from his encouragement. It came from his touch. There's a reason that the Lord said, baptize with water. Eat my body and drink my blood. Because there is certainty in Jesus, certainty in what we can taste and feel and see and touch. This response shows the true power of Jesus to take something that is dead and has no hope and to bring belief and life to it. You receive as a new member a verse of encouragement, the word of Jesus. You're called to participate in the sacraments of Jesus. For the resurrected Lord brings resurrection hope. Resurrection hope and resurrection mission. Paul said to the Colossians, you have received Jesus, now live in him. I'm sorry, live him. Not live in him, not live with him, not live by him. Live him. Live Christ and respond. Respond like Jesus did for Mary. Be there for people. Care and share ministry of this church, I have decided right now, is no longer an option. It is mandatory. You should be demanding a piece of that ministry. You should be demanding to be Christ Jesus for others who are hurting. To be able to bring Jesus' peace, to be able to bring Jesus' forgiveness, to be able to bring Jesus' love, because only you can do that. Sure, God could send anyone, but he will send you in a most powerful way to do what he has chosen you to do in a little way or a big way. Who but us for this care and share ministry? Who but us can pray for those who are hurting and need healing on May 4th? Who but else, us will he send? You can respond like he did to the disciples, bringing the peace, bringing the hope. If peace comes from his love that we bring, then hope comes from speaking his word. Who but us to share Christ Jesus? And if you struggle with knowing what am I supposed to say, then let's get together. In May, and June, we're going to offer three weeks of learning how to witness and share your faith, how to tell people who Jesus is and what Jesus has done for you. Respond like Jesus did for Thomas with encouragement to never give up, to not stop believing. Don't stop believing. That should be a song. In fact, that reminds me, band, come on up. Come on up, band. We're not going to sing that song unless you really want to, but we, we could. In that case, Donna, leave my mic on. I'm, it's not my karaoke go-to, but it's top seven. But the encouragement. Respond by giving encouragement. You know that Thomas is only called the doubter by us who read the Bible? They give the disciples a lot of nicknames. Peter gets a rock. John and James get to be th sons of thunder. Nobody ever labels Thomas as the doubter. They label him as the twin. 
I think they did that because the disciples spent the entire week being patient with Thomas, praying for Thomas, believing that when Thomas saw, when this Jesus who is listening to their prayers and has risen shows himself to Thomas, that Thomas will believe. That's the power of encouragement, of hanging in there with someone. So I say, be encouraged, St. John's. Christ Jesus has won the victory. That sin you can't beat, he conquers it. So keep fighting and keep confessing your sins and keep gathering together. The Lord promises to give without limit. That is always his response. The risen Jesus responds by being with us, by giving us hope, by giving us forgiveness, by encouraging us. And we live Him. We live in His resurrection hope for His glory. And we respond for the sake of others.